This week on Roundtable, we're less than a month from the election, and one of the biggest issues is public safety. We'll dive into the race to pick a new sheriff and the challenges ahead for whoever wins the job. I'm Claire Tregesser, and this is Roundtable. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. This week, we're going to dive into the decisions we're making about law enforcement in the November 8th general election. Mainly, who should be San Diego County's first new sheriff in nearly a decade? We'll talk with Kelly Davis from the Union Tribune and Jesse Marks from Voice of San Diego. They're two of our local reporters who have covered the issues around this race extensively. But we're going to start with you, the voters, and how you're staying informed the cycle. We have our digital editor at KPBS, Elma Gonzalez-Lima-Brando. She's a big part of what you see at kpbs.org. And hello, Elma, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So the starting point for all things election is the KPBS Voter Hub. What will people find there? Well, the Voter Hub has a virtual personalized sample ballot in partnership with Voters Edge with information on the candidates and who supports them. You can fill out this ballot and save it on uh, your computer or even print it to use it when filling out the real ballot. And you can also find tools on how to track your ballot and how to register to vote if you haven't already. The Voter Hub also has polling and ballot drop-off locations, reporting and explainers on candidates and issues from the KPBS newsroom, a local candidate matcher quiz, and of course, uh, live results on election night. And just like in the primary, we've got all of those things in Spanish as well in our Guía Electoral. And so that's obviously a lot. Is there a particular race or ballot measure that seems to be driving interest so far? Well, based on the data that I've seen, our users are gravitating toward the state propositions and local measures explainers we have on the site. I've heard from voters that these ballot items tend to be confusing, and this year we're offering some explainers that you can read or watch to feel more confident about what you're voting on. And as you mentioned, for those who are undecided, the the KPBS Voter Hub has a quiz to match a user's priorities and interests with local candidates. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we uh, reached out to the local candidates that will appear on the ballot with a questionnaire on the big issues like housing and law enforcement funding. And we asked them to respond with a yes, no, other, or choose not to respond, as well as a short explanation for each answer. 
The interactive quiz allows the public to answer some of the same questions we asked the candidates, and once they've completed the quiz, they can explore which candidates answered in the same way that they did. It's kind of like helping the voters out with figuring out which candidates align with them the most on the issues that matter to them. And also, as you mentioned, we had the KPBS Voter Hub during the June primary with a Spanish version, and obviously we're offering that again as well. Uh, for the November election, what have you learned from the KPBS Spanish-speaking audience as we work to produce more Spanish-language content? The most interesting thing we learned was that the top story with this audience was our how to vote story, with information on how to register, how to submit your ballot, where, etc. And so, what we did this time around was. Produced more of those FAQ stories for the audience. We have a story on how to vote if you're living abroad for those folks who may be living in Tijuana and want to vote. We have、uh, how to vote when you don't have an address or are experiencing homelessness, and we also have how to vote in jail or if you have a record. So all of those stories are on our website in English and Spanish. Now, looking ahead to election night, KPBS will have special coverage online, including a live webcast. What's the plan as we watch the results come in? Well, think of it as a watch party kind of situation. We'll be on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website with live discussion and reaction to the results as they come in. We have the great Amita Sharma from our newsroom, along with an expert panel, kind of talking about the key issues this election. And what's really cool is that the audience will be able to participate in the conversation by submitting comments and questions live. And that live virtual conversation will happen. On election night, on our website again, on、uh, kpbs.org, and of course YouTube and Facebook. And then, is there anything else you'd like to plug with the KPBS Voter Hub or any of our digital content in the days coming up? Well, I would add that、um, if you have any questions about any of the candidates or measures on the ballot, or perhaps questions about the voting process, you can actually submit that question to us at kpbs.org/voterhub. Or in Spanish at kpbs.org/guillectoral, and we'll try to answer it in our reporting. And we've been speaking with KPBS digital editor Elma Gonzalez Lima Brandao. To get to the Voter Hub, just click the link on our homepage, kpbs.org. And thank you so much, Elma. Thank you. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry, the Park Reddison Project, listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Let's talk now about the race for sheriff in San Diego County. The KPBS Voters Guide includes quick explainers on some of the local races and ballot measures, and I put together the one for the sheriff. So let's listen to that to set the table. 
The sheriff runs law enforcement for several local cities and is in charge of the county's jails. The office is open for the first time in a decade following Sheriff Bill Gore's retirement earlier this year. Kelly Martinez is one of the two candidates vying to replace Gore. She's a Democrat, but until recently was a Republican. I've been with the Sheriff's Department for 37 years. I'm currently serving as the undersheriff. The second sheriff's candidate is John Hemmerling. He's a Republican, but until recently was an independent. My career spans 28 years of dedicated service to the city of San Diego and 30 years of faithful military service. During that time, I was the city's chief criminal prosecutor. Martinez says the number one thing she wants voters to know is... I'm the most qualified candidate for this position. I, I know the department. I know our communities. Uh, I'm actively making a lot of changes now. We're doing a lot of work. It would be uh, really detrimental to the movement, the forward movement of the department if someone else came in and started uh, from scratch. Meanwhile, Hemmerling says voters should know that I'm the best choice for sheriff to fight crime and restore trust and confidence for safer communities. There's nobody like me. I've my my experience and my background as a across multiple organizations, chief criminal prosecutor, a combat Marine, a leader of Marines and a former San Diego police officer. The election is November 8th. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. And again, that's from our series of election explainers, which are all available at the KPBS Voter Hub at kpbs.org. And here with us today, we have Kelly Davis, whose work appears in the San Diego Union Tribune and other publications here in San Diego. And we also welcome back Jesse Marks, who's the associate editor at Voice of San Diego. So Jesse, earlier we talked with Elma from KPBS about the voters and how now is the time a lot of people are starting to pay attention. Before we get into the specifics, can you tell us what you think is at stake in the sheriff's race beyond just the job itself? Yeah, I think there's a lot that's at stake. And and it's certainly, as the, the video before this pointed out, uh, if you take a step back and look at what the Sheriff's Department actually does, it's it's huge in its size and its scope. It's got a, more than a billion dollar budget. It functions fairly independently of the county structure, employs roughly 4,700 people, many of whom are armed, many of whom are sanctioned to use force, even excessive and deadly force under certain circumstances. And that leads every single year to millions of dollars being paid out in, in settlements related to civil rights type cases. But in addition to patrolling streets, the sheriff's department is also responsible for staffing the courthouses, carrying out evictions. During the pandemic, there were complaints that the sheriff's department had politicized that process that was prioritizing certain evictions over others. And of course, there's the jail system. So these are questions of life and death. They're very serious ones. And I think it's really important to note that this is the first time in decades that the seat is actually a genuinely open seat. I think um, the fact that there are two people who weren't previously in the role is significant. If you go back to the 1970s, there have only been four people in 50 years who've actually served in this role. So I think these are really um, matters of life and death, and they're really important uh, democratic and electoral questions as well. And, and Kelly, what would you tell people about why they should really be paying attention to the outcome of this race? Well, I, I've been reporting on on deaths in, in San Diego jails and jail conditions for almost a, a decade now. And I think there really needs to be a wholesale rethinking 
of of who's in our jails and why. There there are too many people who are suffering from addiction, from mental illness. They're ending up there. Uh, 18 people have have died in jail custody this year so far. And there have also been, as as, you know, as Jesse mentioned, a string of multi-million dollar legal settlements uh, in cases involving deaths, injuries, uh, shootings um, by the sheriff. And and the county is self-insured. So that's taxpayer money that's going to pay these settlements. And I I think that's something that voters should really be paying attention to. If if it's not for, you know, having compassion for some folks in jail, you know, at least um, thinking about, you know, the the, the county's bottom line and and all this money that's that's being paid out. And it does seem to be, you know, one of the big local races, maybe the local race that that people have questions about and are paying attention to. And I know that both Kelly Martinez and John Hemmerling were at Voice of San Diego's PolitiFest last weekend. Jesse, were you were you there? Was there anything that stood out from that event about what the two candidates had to say? Well, I think um, to, to Kelly's point, jail deaths certainly stood out as the most important issue. It certainly stood out for me having listened to that conversation, but it was a recurring topic of conversation that kept coming up, and I think rightly so. And because Kelly Martinez is in the midst of it, because she's the, the undersheriff at the moment, she's able to talk about what's happening inside jails in a way, I think, in a certain amount of depth. Whether or not you agree or disagree with you, she can at least talk policy in a way that John Hemmerling can't completely. And so she's essentially said, look, I'm in the midst of this thing already. Give me some more time to work on it. I acknowledge that we've made some mistakes and we're going to make more going forward. But John Hemmerling is promising you all the things that we're already getting rolling at this point in time. So don't listen to him. Specifically, she talks about how fentanyl is a serious driving force and a serious problem behind deaths in jails. And so stopping that supply is going to be key. She talks about the medical assistance treatment program that is helping to identify and monitor people who are going through withdrawals. She also talks about the increased prevalence of Narcan. Um, But she was pressed at one point on why she hasn't released the internal reviews of any jail deaths so, so far this year, which I believe she had promised to do or the department had promised to do. And she alluded to some legal questions that still needed to be resolved. But she did say that they're going to do that as soon as possible. And so it puts Hemmerling in the position of having to uh, respond as a kind of outsider, yet somebody who still has the right qualifications and experience to run the sheriff's department. And so he talks often about restoring the pride and the honor in the police department, which is an interesting phrase that he often uses, but he speaks about the morale. He's a little bit more vague on the details and the specifics. But again, he's coming in as an outsider saying, I'm the one who's going to change that culture. Whereas Martinez is saying, I'm already in the midst of it. I understand it. Give me more time and just trust me. Another thing that came up at that debate, and again, is uh, being discussed on the front page of the Union Tribune on Thursday, is about how crime is up. And, you know, I think that there are questions about about whether that's actually true. The headline from the newspaper says violent crime is up locally, and it's referring to a Sandag report showing a 2% increase over last year, while other types of crime are are down. So... If there's this perception of rising crime or homelessness, then, you know, it seems like there's discussion about these quality of life issues. Is that weighing on voters in in these final weeks? And maybe let's start with Jesse on that. 
Yeah, I think first and foremost, crime rates are really complex. And to a degree, they're they're subjective, even though we tend to talk about them in these these hard numbers. Um, violent crime may have increased 2% across the county, but that doesn't mean it's going up everywhere. I haven't looked at the latest data, but when I looked at it last year, I found that some cities actually saw a drop. In some cases, the number of reported crimes differed on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, even block by block basis. And I think what's lost and what's been lost in a lot of the noise here is that crime rates generally are below their peak in the 1990s. And even as that UT article pointed out, crime rates today are about where they were in 2012. And I don't think anyone really remembers 2012 as a particularly grisly year. So yes, people's perception, it's it's in any case, it's hugely important. And it's hugely important in any law enforcement race generally, because those races tend to rest on the assumption that police and prosecutors aren't just reacting to these larger forces like poverty or deteriorating social relations, but they're somehow deterring crime. And so even though you have this perception of crime that isn't always accurate, it is still an underlying component of it. Um, but that said, I do think that the two candidates haven't emerged, either of them as like the caricature of the old school tough on crime sheriff who, who we're used to seeing. Um, but that could change in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure. So Kelly, do you have any thoughts? I completely agree with Jesse. The Sandag study released yesterday said headline was violent crime is up. Um, then you read it and it's up by 2% the first six months of the year. And, you know, they always, stats folks always say you want to look at a lot of data, not just, you know, just a, a snapshot because a snapshot's not always going to give you the full picture. But voters are going to focus on that headline, you know, and if, if next door is any, <laughs> you know, kind of taking the temperature of voters, crime, everyone thinks crime is up. That's the perception. So I think the candidates, they're going to have to walk a fine line. Um, we might see more tough on crime talk. But, um, you know, like I mentioned, addiction, mental illness, huge issues, big factors and who's arrested, who ends up in jail. Um, and that's, you know, that makes policing and the sheriff's department budget very large. Um, I think there needs to be more diversion programs. And, um, you know, we'd like to hear candidates talk about those sorts of things. But, yeah, voters are very focused on crime rates and, and it, it wouldn't support, surprise me at all if if that starts uh, creeping in as, as more of an issue. Um, as we head into uh, election day. I actually just remembered, Kelly, I thought you brought up a good point. Hammerling did bring up diversion programs at PolitiFest because he was asked in the, in the broader context of how do you reduce jail deaths? And he said, well, one way to reduce it is to have fewer people going into jails to begin with. And so I'm reminded he did bring that up. Yeah, that's something I've heard him talk about a few times as well. And we've touched on this already a little bit, but one of the other big issues, Kelly, that we've talked about with you is the record number of deaths at local jails this year. Uh, the most recent was just last week. So have you heard anything from the candidates that stands out to you that shows, you know, whether they would approach this problem differently? Yeah, so at a, a candidate's forum, I think it was um, uh, last week, John Hemmerling mentioned using blockchain to reform the jails. And I heard that and I'm like, what are you talking about? And um, the easiest way to describe blockchain is it's a way to store information. Um, and so I reached out to, to Hemmerling to find out a little bit more about this plan. And he sent me back a very detailed email. Um, he said he's been using, I'm sorry, he said he's been researching how blockchain can, uh, quote, better safeguard the jail population and reduce recidivism. He went on to say that that he it could be used to help synchronize information on treatment that folks in jail need, and it 
will create this common repository of information that can be used by law enforcement, the courts, drug rehab programs, social services, even family members who there are so many cases where family members are calling into the jail saying, my my son, my husband, my father, you know, they need to be on this medication. They need to be getting this sort of care. And they're ignored. But with this proposal, this blockchain kind of information keeping uh, scheme that John Hemmerlein's proposing, um, family members could provide input on treatment plans. Uh, there's a lot more to his proposal, um, but the the plan really has gotten my attention because it's new, it's different. It's like that fresh thinking that we like to see. Um, if folks are interested and they want to know more information, there's a 2022 uh, study by the RAND Corporation called Leveraging Technology to Support Prisoner Reentry. And I, I, I haven't read the study yet. I, I plan to. It's open on my laptop. But um, I think that will kind of give a good uh, idea of how uh, blockchain can be used in law enforcement. That's interesting. Yeah, I have, hadn't heard anything about that. It does, from the outset, it kind of sounds like something where you just say, oh, yeah, here's this new thing, blockchain. Let's use that. <laughs> but while you're listening to KPBS Roundtable, I'm Claire Tregesser in for Matt Hoffman. And this week, we're talking with Jesse Marks from Voice of San Diego and Kelly Davis from the San Diego Union Tribune about the race for sheriff. And ballots are already mailed to voters for the November 8th general election. So, Jesse, one thing voters might not realize is the winner of the sheriff and district attorney will get a six-year term, not just a four-year term. Is part of a plan to shift these elections to presidential years starting in 2028. So tell us more about the strategy backed by the governor and, and Democrats and why they want to make this change. Yeah, so this actually caught me by surprise, too. I didn't know this until a few days ago, and I found out that the governor had quietly signed a bill in late September that extended the the next term for sheriffs and district attorneys across the entire state. So it's not just the, the San Diego region. Um, but the argument essentially that Democrats and advocates made is that by realigning sheriffs and DA elections with presidential elections over the long term, the turnout was likely to improve. And so the thinking is that voters of color in particular who have a special stake in these races will also have a larger say in who is elected in these races long term. And so they framed it as a matter, the Democrats and the advocates have framed it as a matter of representation and of fairness. But what's really interesting is that many of the law enforcement officials who stand to benefit from the additional two years actually fought against the change. And they've made two, two or three primary arguments, um, which don't totally align with each other. They kind of contradict each other. But in any case, one of them is that the change would make it easier long term to replace law and order type candidates, more conservative candidates with progressive ones. And they've also warned that it would it would increase the cost of running an election because you're competing for attention. Uh, but at the same time, the, the State Sheriff's Association has also argued that there's no guarantee that the bill is going to do what what people say it's going to do, that voters will actually examine their choices more carefully because the length of the ballot is going to be longer. So I guess time will just tell. Kelly, does knowing the next sheriff will have more time, two more years in office, does that add to the stakes in, in this election? Oh, it definitely does. I was also unaware of this, and I read Jesse's story, and it's like, what? Like, oh my God, six years, that is hugely significant. But yeah, this, this bill really kind of snuck up on us. Now, Kelly, there will also be more oversight of the department soon. Can you remind us what that will look like? 
Yeah, so uh, the County Law Enforcement Review Board, which uh, is is known by CLURB or known as CLURB, under the leadership of uh, Executive Officer Paul Parker, has really been pretty aggressive in recommending policy changes for the Sheriff's Department. And that's something you just didn't see under previous executive officers. And they're everything from allowing a CLURB investigator to uh, show up to death scenes. Um, and these are trained investigators, you know, who some of them, um, including Mr. Parker, have a lot of experience in, in death scenes and death investigations, recommending changes to how the department handles evictions. And they're currently working on getting oversight of jail medical staff, which they currently don't have. So the new sheriff will definitely need to engage with this more robust oversight. And and I think CLURB will be a little more of a thorn in the side, you know, in, in the, the new sheriff's side than, um, than it has been in the past. Jesse, did the candidates have anything to say about this at PolitiFest? Uh, not a whole lot, unfortunately. I was waiting for that question. So they didn't talk specifically about CLURB or, or these, these types of oversights. They did talk more generally about how bias and policing shouldn't be tolerated and needed to be investigated to keep the confidence in the department. And so it's always like back to this question of legitimacy and authority uh, in the eyes of the public, rather than speak about systemic bias or systemic abuse in any specific way. They they just, they said, look, they, these things have to be treated on a case by case basis. So you can take that for what it's worth. Hemmerling specifically talked about training deputies on de-escalation tactics. And Martinez also acknowledged that people of color make up a disproportionate number of those in the jail population, but that's about as far as it went. Now, this isn't the only law enforcement office on the ballot. Summer Steffen is running again for district attorney, and she is unopposed, which was a surprise to me and, you know, may have been to other people as well. So, Kelly, starting with you, what is your reaction to the fact that such an important office like that is going uncontested? Um, I I think, you know, definitely, you know, there's some... um, kind of law enforcement watch watchdog groups who uh, would like to see Summer Steffen be a more progressive district attorney. But I think she's not done anything that's really given reason for another candidate to to challenge her and to run on something that, that she's she's done wrong. So, you know, I, I think that it just speaks to um her being, you know, doing her job and and, um, not rocking the boat too much. And Jesse, what do you think about the lack of a challenger for Summer Steffen? And when it comes to Sheriff, does she have a preference for one candidate or the other? Yeah, I, I agree with what Kelly said a second ago. I, I think that there are there are some some criticisms of of Stefan that are that are completely fair. I, I think she's waged some policy battles that people have rightly criticized. For instance, she's fought back against resentencing of felony murder cases. She's essentially tried to keep people in prison for life without the possibility of parole who didn't actually pull the trigger. Um, but at the same time, she's gotten in front of quite a bit of criticism. She removed hundreds of people from the gang injunction list. She prosecuted a sheriff's deputy for shooting and killing a man in the in the back while he was running away downtown. And I realize that's setting the bar pretty low, but that's not nothing in a place like San Diego, where traditionally police officers have been allowed to act with impunity, from my perspective. So I think um, the fact that no one's willing to challenge Stefan kind of speaks for itself. The Democrats just didn't think she was beatable. They tried in 2018 in the midst of a, a, a so-called blue wave, and they, they came up short. But to answer your second question, Stefan is endorsing 
and Kelly Martinez in this race, which is which is interesting, but maybe not totally surprising. I think there's some overlap there. Um, they both have an interesting history. They both used to be Republicans, but I think it's not just about partisanship. I think that there's some genuine sympathy between worldviews. They're both women in law enforcement for decades. Martinez has also kind of positioned herself, like I said before, as this person who knows the department inside and out. And so she often uses words like stability and experience. And I think you can certainly hear that echoed in the way that Stefan talks about herself. That's it for this week's edition of KPBS Roundtable. Thank you to all our guests, Kelly Davis from the San Diego Union-Tribune, Jesse Marks from Voice of San Diego, and KPBS digital editor, Elma Gonzalez-Lima-Brandau. You can find our show as a podcast at kpbs.org and on all podcast platforms. I'm Claire Tregesser, in for Matt Hoffman. Thank you for listening to KPBS Roundtable. Roundtable.